0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, December 5th. I'm Kate Trinko.
1: And I'm Daniel Davis. Violent protests continue to rage in Paris as thousands of French citizens march against President Macron's fuel tax. Today we'll talk to French native Alexander Poissy about what he's witnessed at the protests. Plus, the CEO of Apple says that so-called hate speech has no place on digital platforms. We'll discuss that.
0: But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. Today is the funeral for President George H.W. Bush at the Washington National Cathedral. On Tuesday, The Daily Signal's Jenny Montalbano spoke to people around the Capitol, where Bush's body lay at rest in the rotunda to allow Americans to pay their respects.
2: George H.W. Bush uh, contributed a great deal to this country and uh, was a great patriot, naval officer, hero, uh, served his country in so many different capacities and uh, we uh, just want to take this opportunity to come down here and pay our respects.
1: What is President Bush's legacy to you and your family?
0: Well, you know, first of all, he loved God. He loved his family. He loved this nation. And having served this nation with a man of decency and dignity, I think that combination for me and a dad, dignity, decency and a dad. I think those combinations were wonderful. And so I have so much respect for him. I'm so glad to be here.
1: Well, the news is only now emerging that the Republican Party suffered a major data breach leading up to the 2018 midterms. Politico reports that the National Republican Congressional Committee, which is the GOP's House fundraising arm, was hacked beginning in April of this year, and four senior aides had their email accounts surveilled for months. Committee officials say they withheld that information out of fear that publicity would make it harder for them to track down the culprit. They say they believe the hacker was a foreign agent.
0: Vote fraud may have occurred in a House race in North Carolina between Republican Mark Harris and Democrat Dan McCready. While Harris leads McCready by 900 plus votes in the final tally, the state board of elections isn't certifying the results because, according to various reports, there are concerns that there were improprieties associated with mail-in ballots, and concerns that non-voters or non-family members may have collected and mailed in the ballots, as well as potentially filled them out and/or have destroyed them. Now, an investigation is ongoing. Incoming House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said, per The Washington Post, if there is what appears to be a very substantial question on the integrity of the election, clearly we would oppose Mr. Harris being seated until that is resolved.
1: Well, private attorney Michael Avenatti has announced that after long and public consideration, he won't be running for president in 2020, saying that his family has asked him not to. Avenatti came to national attention by representing porn star Stormy Daniels in a lawsuit involving President Trump. He also represented Julie Swetnick, a woman who accused Justice Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault during his Supreme Court confirmation process. She then walked that claim back. More recently, Avenatti has been accused by a woman of domestic abuse and faces a misdemeanor charge. He denies that
0: charge. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced Tuesday from Brussels that unless Russia changes its actions, the United States will end compliance with the 1987 Intermediate-Range Nuclear Force Treaty in 60 days.
2: But whatever successes this treaty helped produce, today we must confront Russian cheating on its arms control obligations. On at least 30 occasions since 2013, extending to the highest levels of leadership, We have raised Russia's non-compliance and stressed that a failure to return to compliance would have consequences. Russia's reply has been consistent. Deny any wrongdoing, demand more information, and issue baseless counter accusations. In light of these facts, the United States today declares it has found Russia in material breach of the treaty and will suspend our obligations as a remedy effective in 60 days unless Russia returns to full and verifiable compliance.
0: Beyond Russia's actions, there's also the fact that countries like China aren't subject to the treaty. Pompeo also said per the Washington Post that quote, "There is no reason the United States should continue to cede this crucial military advantage to revisionist powers like China."
1: Well, the Trump administration has denied any direct evidence that the Saudi Crown Prince ordered the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, but Republican members of Congress disagree. After sitting through a CIA intelligence briefing, top Republicans seem pretty sure that the crown prince is guilty. Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker said, quote, I have zero question in my mind that the crown prince, MBS, ordered the killing, monitored the killing, knew exactly what was happening, planned it in advance. If he was in front of a jury, he would be convicted in 30 minutes. Guilty, end quote. And here's what South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham had to say.
3: I went into the briefing believing it was uh, virtually impossible for an operation like this to be carried out without the Crown Prince's knowledge. Uh, I left the briefing with high confidence that my initial assessment of the situation is correct. So here's my takeaway, Um, that Saudi Arabia is a strategic ally and the relationship is worth saving, but not at all cost. We'll do more damage to our standing in the world and our national security by ignoring MBS than dealing with him.
0: Well, despite all the concerns over the increasing secularization of Christmas, Disneyland held a candlelight ceremony this weekend that featured actor Chris Pratt reading from the Bible.
2: There were shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger.
0: Pratt also spoke about how having a son himself had made him think of God's love for his children and wished attendees a Merry Christmas.
1: Well, up next we'll talk to a French native about the protest in Paris.
0: Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS One Hundred and One, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.
1: Well, joining us now to discuss the protest situation in Paris is Alexander Pessi. He is the director and co-founder of the I'll say this in French Institut de Formation Politique, which is the Institute of Political Formation. It's a nonprofit that trains young people in France. Alexander, thanks for making the time for us.
3: Thank you for having me on your show.
1: So, uh, tell us exactly, Alexander, what um, what sparked these protests in France? They seem massive. Uh, w- what exactly is it?
3: Yeah, it starts uh, with the introduction of a new tax on gas um, by the government uh, in order, they said, to uh, protect the environment. Um, so, you, you have to, to uh, know that the the gallon in France is already $6 um, and 60% of the amount are taxes. France is uh, the most taxes country in the OECD. Uh, If not the first is always second. And so you can imagine that French people are um, fed up with taxes and that was a tax too much. People say that's enough. That's how it started.
0: Now, I understand you were actually present at some of these protests?
3: Yes, I am myself, uh, what we call here, a yellow uh, vest or gilet jaune uh, from the first day. And so the first day, it was a movement coming from the base. everywhere in France. So I went at the place where I live uh, and I went even with three of my kids to tell you how safe, uh, s- civilized, polite it was. And... Then I went back uh, every weekend and last Saturday I was in Paris where most of the violence occurred um, and I stayed four hours there. So it was a demonstration by the Gilets Jaunes, um, but then you had two movements that came in. Um, you had first a group of anarchists, of Antifa or Black bloc. people who were very organized. Very well equipped, even better than the police, what the police said. Um, I saw them very organized to break to break every shop, especially banks, cars. And then you have an, a second group um, who is mostly called they are called the suburban. It's people coming from the suburbs of uh, the inner city and usually they come um, anytime there is a demonstration or a big gathering to steal, um, things or rob people. I saw them, for example, threaten people in his shop and say, "You have to give me 100 euro and I'll protect your shop." Um, so you had the gilets jaunes, the yellow vest, demonstrating. Some were angry the way they were treated by the government, and so start to be more aggressive. But the violence that you saw, uh, the people who broke the car, burned the car, broke the shop, are different groups that went in the movement.
1: Is, this a, is opposition to this tax
3: uh, something that you think most French people would share? Um, if um, you follow the polls, they say that close to 80% of French people are supporting um, the gilet jaune, the yellow vest. Uh, and so uh, among the population, the opposition of the tax is, is very high, for sure.
0: Now, Macron has announced, I believe it's a six month delay on the tax. Do you think that's going to um, settle the issue for now or do you anticipate people will still be upset?
3: I still there. This government is very far from understanding what's happening and um, I don't think it will be sufficient. I think people will be still there on Saturday. You'll see other demonstration, maybe bigger, uh, because they are not asking for suspending the tax. They are skinned for no more tax, even less taxes. So um, I think they may be even, some may be even more annoyed by this government who is now actually um, uh, beating all the record of unpopularity. Well,
1: uh, you know, you say that they feel overtaxed. Um, Do you think this is something that could move the French people to want uh, just
3: smaller, uh, less government overall? It's a big challenge because what we are seeing now, it's how the, the leftists are trying to get and taking over the movement uh, with the support of many media in saying these French people are not fighting against taxes. They want more fair taxes. So they want more taxes on the rich. And so you have some uh, so-called yellow vest who are not invited by the media to say that, to say, we want a wealth tax, we want a fair tax, not that they want less tax. So that's a risk is that the movement is taken over by by the left. But I think this movement is even deeper than the opposition of the tax. Because if you look sociologically, who are these people? It's mostly the hard working people, mostly the white people who are never in the media, never uh, taken into account by intellectual or politician we call them the invisible you know they don't belong to a minority they don't say they suffer discrimination so they're never invited on the table and here it's people like who say it's done I'm tired to say I have to pay more taxes for the environment I have to open border to welcome more immigrants but in both case 80% of French people are against more taxes and are against more immigration and I think it's these people who start to come out.
0: So if the French have already been uh, very highly taxed before, why do you think that this was the thing that got people this upset?
3: Because I think it's this construction between the people, the gap between the establishment and, and the people. The, the, the vote in the last presidential election, if you look, 40% of the vote went to anti-establishment party. So, Macron won because he arrived first in the first round and then was against far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, uh, but it was not like a massive support of him. It was more like he win against uh, another candidate. So, um, why it came now, um, I think it's because it just accumulated and it Macron, since he arrived, he increased a, lit, a tax called the CSG and then he created another one and it doesn't and uh, it doesn't decrease public expenditures. So you, you have this conjunction of the kind of conservative anti-tax and um, what is broader, an anti-establishment movement. who are saying to this Paris elite who live in the rich inner city, who are safe, like hear us. We are we are done with what you are doing, and you need to dramatically change the situation.
1: Well, it's really remarkable because Macron has uh, been really the face of a global green agenda, climate agenda. Um, do you think that this could be the beginning of
3: the end of his agenda? I think yeah. He, I think he, he he now lost any credibility. I think the gap is so uh, huge. Um, that um, I don't think it can reconnect. Um, if you look at the poll, it's surprising, even with the violence that you saw that everybody was sad about. I was there, it was terrible to see that they, how they broke cars, burned, wrote um, on the historical places. Uh, even with that, a vast majority of people still support it because I think it's, a, it's really a unification against East uh, policy. And I think now he has not many solutions than, I think, get rid of his prime minister in these weeks to come or to dissolve the National Assembly. Is that to call for re-election of the Congress, where he would lose a majority, but maybe for him it would be a strategic way to have a chance to be re-elected as a presidential race. But I think now he's beating all the record in the poll of unpopularity. Um, He's worse in the poll than President Hollande, the former socialist president, who was said to be the worst in our history. So it's to tell you how low he went, from how high his name was Jupiter, and he, he called himself Jupiter, like a god, and how down he, he fell in few weeks.
0: So you, of course, um, you've been to the Heritage Foundation. You've worked with conservatives in the United States. Do you think this is possibly the beginning of a political change in France and have more openness toward um, conservatism? Or do you think it's just um, it's just limited to over this fuel tax?
3: The conservatives in France um, are a, a, a big number, a lot of people. But they, they were not politically able to... Um, To win election, to uh, have leaders to um, represent their movement, Uh, we didn't have a Ronald Reagan, Um, we don't have a Donald Trump, we don't have a leaders that is able to carry this movement, and that's the main difficulty we have today. Because even against Macron, there is not a space coming out, even among the Yellow Vest. Uh, which is very similar, I think, to the Tea Party movement. It's really coming from the base. Uh, You don't see figures coming out, not yet, at least. Um, So, yes, I think it's a big chance for us if we're well organized and we start to succeed to um, have leaders who who represent this movement to see France uh, turn into a conservative side. Um, It's up to us uh, to do this good job or it's going to be the Marxist who uh, may enjoy these cows. Well, certainly high
1: stakes, and uh, but it looks uh, ripe for change. Alexander, uh, thank you so much for making the time and for calling in. This has been uh, very
3: insightful. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad to uh, answer the question of heritage, of really an institution uh, I follow and uh, like for years. Thank you very much.
0: Liberals have pretty much cornered the market on 101-style podcasts that break down tough policy issues in the news until now did you know that every week heritage explains intermingles personal stories news clips and facts from heritage experts to help explain some of today's hardest issues from a conservative perspective look for heritage explains on itunes stitcher google play or wherever you get your podcasts Apple CEO Tim Cook talked more like a preacher than a CEO in remarks Monday at the Anti-Defamation League. I'm going to play a long clip here because I really think this is an interesting viewpoint. So here's what Cook had to say.
2: Perhaps most importantly, it drives us not to be bystanders, bystanders as hate tries to make its headquarters in the digital world. At Apple... We believe that technology needs to have a clear point of view on this challenge. There is no time to get tied up in knots. That's why we only have one message for those who seek to push hate, division and violence. You have no place on our platforms. You have no home here. From the earliest days of iTunes to Apple Music today, we have always prohibited music with a message of white supremacy. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And as we showed this year, we won't give a platform to violent conspiracy theorists on the App Store. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. My friends, if we can't be clear on moral questions like these, then we've got big problems. At Apple, we are not afraid to say that our values drive our curation decisions. And why should we be? Doing what's right, creating experiences free from violence and hate, Experiences that empower creativity and new ideas is what our customers want us to do. I believe the most sacred thing that each of us is given is our judgment, our morality, our own innate desire to separate right from wrong. Choosing to set that responsibility aside at a moment of trial is a sin.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there. I will note, of course, that with tech companies, this is a little bit complicated. They're currently regulated not as publishers, but as um, not quite sure the technical term is, but basically places that are a platform for speech, not places that decide what speech goes up. And obviously, the more they get involved in making these speech decisions, the more potential legal implications there are for them. But that aside... And while I certainly may not agree with Olive Cook's moral decisions, I I kind of appreciated that he at least brought up values and discussed morality in a more serious way than we often hear from business leaders. What did you think, Daniel?
1: Yeah, you know I I do think that there is a lot to admire in in his um, in, it, it, clear and motivation that came across there and the desire to do the right thing and the idea that company companies and businesses should not exist within a moral vacuum. Um, uh, I I think that's all great. Uh, the pro, the problem, and you know, the where it gets complex is is when they start applying that, um, because in America we have a lot more disagreements now within our culture about right and wrong than I think we we used to have. Um, I guess you could point to a number of controversies in the past where there was also disagreement over things like slavery and civil rights and things like that. But um, today, when I when, you know when I think of uh, how we define hate, um, I think a lot of folks on the left will define hate as a form of violence, which if you say hate, if you say that viol- that hate is a form of violence,
0: you mean like hateful words,
1: hateful words. And if you define certain positions, certain views um, as hateful that that are not right. hateful, um, you, you can start to exclude people from mainstream platforms. And I think that's a main concern that conservatives uh, and I, I would have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a lot of concern about whether certain terms, um, you know, especially in the LGBT issues, will be yes. seen as bigoted and hateful that are neither. Um, you know, one can easily imagine a situation where if you refuse to say that trans people are the sex they now identify as, that's seen as violent language. Right. Um, so that that's very much, I think, a cause for concern. But I also think that, you know, we love capitalism, but capitalism... Uh, really only works when it's attached to morality. Um, you know, capitalism without some moral breaks can go some really dark places. And I think it's good that Cook is at least having the debate. We should absolutely discuss what really constitutes um, hate speech and what what morals businesses should care about. But I don't know, at least he's bringing it up. But I think you're right. We are divided. I saw um, the site Tumblr, which I don't even know how to describe it, a blogging site, something. Anyway, it hosts content. And they decided to ban porn. And that decision has actually led to a bunch of think pieces about why they shouldn't ban porn because people think that porn is fine to consume and why should they do that? Right. So yeah, there is wide disagreement on what kind of speech should be allowed.
1: Well, and I will say it's, almost, it's always better to have this conversation in the context of the private sector rather than the government deciding mm-hmm. uh, what is hate speech and what isn't. So there's always the, you know, in the free market, there's always the upside of, you know, if Apple goes too far, then you know stakeholders and consumers will decide. You know, we're actually going to support a different company because that's more in line with our values. So there is that built-in corrective. Although I guess some would probably say Apple's become a pseudo-monopoly, <laughs> and so uh, I, I don't think they are. Uh, but they, they uh, yeah, so, no, so, I mean, there's always that possibility of of another competitor emerging. Um, so so that's that's good. It's better than it's better than yesterday's conversation we had about uh, Michigan lawmakers trying to dictate boys and girls' toys.
0: Although I should note, I might have misspoke during that podcast. Um, I was reading after that. I believe even if the resolution passed, it wouldn't mandate; it would just push companies to uh, not offering the gender toys by gender. But still,
1: yeah. But but it is, I think, an important point that you make that. Uh, we don't want. We shouldn't want businesses to be like just amoral, you know, operate without a moral compass at all. In fact, that'd be kind of scary and and, and disastrous. Um, the question is, what are those values? What is right and wrong? And how can we as a society um, tolerate each other as much as possible when we disagree about what's right and wrong? And yeah. that's that's really the heart of it. And I wish. I and I wish that uh, Tim Cook and others would actually address that. Like, what if we? You know, what about these massive disagreements we have?
0: Right, and I think it would be interesting, you know, is Apple meeting with conservatives? You know, my understanding is Facebook and uh, some of the other social media platforms have met with conservatives, so they're at least aware of the arguments of why certain things, you know, aren't hate speech or something. Um, I'd be curious if Apple's making similar outreach or, you know, at least trying to understand both sides before making some of these content decisions.
1: Yeah. The The only other thing I would add is that I think they... I really hope that we don't have platforms splintering and people going off into different because you want society to have as much interaction with the rest of society as possible so that, like, we're not Mm -hmm. all into the, like, just kind of our own own silo, our own bubbles. So, you know, just moderation, Apple, moderation. We're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation.
0: Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, which, yes, Apple owns, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback.
1: We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit dailysignal.com.
0: Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right. And if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today.